0: Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Hi. Good
1: morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. And I think that you will feel as though the next hour um, was very well spent and that you will be glad that you joined me today on Heaven Sent and Bent uh, on thetalkzone.com. I am Renee Steelman, and I am your host. My guest today is Victoria Trebosh. And Victoria has, I don't know, she has so many wonderful things to share with you. I don't even know where to begin. But I'm just going to tell you a little bit about how I met Victoria. Um, I was invited to attend a Wisdom Circle, and I had never heard of a Wisdom Circle before, Um, but my instructions were to um, buy a book and read it, and then come to the Wisdom Circle with my own wisdom to share. The book that I was instructed to read was called Dead Rita's Wisdom, and it was written by Victoria. And so I downloaded the book and I started reading it. And at first I was like, yeah, this is pretty common sense. I grew up in the Midwest. Victoria grew up in the Midwest. And I think there's something about growing up in the Midwest where there, there is very much an attitude of, you know, shape up, get over yourself, get on with life, you know. And so, but the more I read, the more I just... My emotions just were welled up, and I really, really, really enjoyed the wisdom that Victoria shared. So that was my introduction. Um, I was excited to go to the Wisdom Circle, having completed the book, and it was a great experience. And Victoria, uh, probably unknowingly, she doesn't know this, but she just became my mentor. I just loved the things she had to share. And so I've kind of followed her and watched her. I got um, really excited about the foundation that she represents and went to a few um, fundraising events that she held and was just so impressed with her. And then um, we kind of lost touch. We didn't have a lot of activities that we were doing together. And then I heard through some media that she had some health issues. And watching her go through... What she has gone through in the last couple of years, not even really two full years, is amazing and it just made me love her even more. So I want to introduce you to her and have her share her wisdom and her story with all of you and hopefully um, her encouragement and her wisdom and her insight will uplift you today as it has me and help you to deal with whatever it is you're going through. So Victoria, thank you for joining me today.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Renee. It is truly a joy to be on the show with you. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, thank you. And I I just look back on the Victoria that I met at that Wisdom Circle and how it just excited you were for your foundation, the work that you were doing as a business coach, and just, you know, on that hamster wheel, going 100 miles an hour with more enthusiasm, and and just, you know, anything that you could ever think one person could accomplish. And um, I don't even know where to begin, Victoria. I don't know whether to begin with your, your fabulous book or your health issues. Where would you like to start your story today? Well, I'd like to start with the book, not because of the book, but
0: because of my mother, Rita. And I have been through quite a bit in the last two years. And yet you look at what sustains you and what holds you. And for me, it has really been two things. It's been my faith and my mother. And, of course, I knew my mother before I knew my faith. I was (laughs) blessed with an incredible mother who, while not perfect herself, always believed in me. She was not one of those mothers that said everything was perfect. She didn't tell me i was beautiful all the time and i was perfect and she also didn't criticize me what she did was say vic who you are works and all i ever wanted to be was my mother rita i wanted to be shy petite demure and quiet which as you know well no i am none of those things <laughs> and this this woman that that was my mom was raised um, she was born out of wedlock in 1931 and her mother was not a good mom And her mother, she was born when my grandmother was 16. And my grandmother basically loved her, certainly, but, but my mother was in the way. And so they were, she, my mother was raised along with her mother as her mother grew with her grandmother, Anna, who really saved my mother's life. And I look back and mom and I talked about it a lot before she passed. And it was my grandmother, my great grandmother that taught my mother unconditional love. Because my grandmother, my grandmother, her mother's love was very conditional. And you know, I don't think there are many places in the world where we can truly get unconditional love. And I'm sure many of your listeners say, it wasn't for my mom. But I, I want to remind, the reason I agreed to be on the show today was, you know, to tell my story certainly, but more to remind your listeners that everything they need lies within them. And we are so busy searching outside of ourselves when in fact the wisdom lies within. And that's my message. And my mother taught me that. I always listened to her. I wasn't one of those girls that hated her mother as a teenager, and oh, we were best friends until she died in my arms when I was 41 years old. And my mother was wise. And whenever she told me something, I did it. And the few times she was wrong, because of course she was wrong, I even knew it then and didn't hold it against her. So the story does start with her. It starts with this woman. I was born in 1957, with a uh, port wine stain that started below my nose and went around my mouth and down my chin. And at six weeks old in 1957, my mother told me the story how they held me down. Four uh, people had to hold down a six-week-old baby while they applied dried ice directly to my face to burn off the port wine stain. Which, you know, when we finally get to today's story later, um, certainly has come full circle again. It's sort of amazing how my whole focus of my life has been around my mouth. And ironically, I'm an international <laughs> speaker. There's no, yeah. there's no irony in this. There's no sarcasm in this, but there is certainly a message in this. And the message I know I have today is that each of us must keep our voice. In my case, it was it's a literal thing. I almost lost my voice, literally. But I know that there's a message in this for all of us as people that we must not lose our voice figuratively, or literally, in my case, in the face of trial and tribulation. And as you well know, Renee, we face it. We must face it. And I talk about facing the storm. So I realized that it started with my mother. I have a very strong faith in God. Uh, without her wisdom and and God's, you know, my belief in an unseen God, I would not be here. I just couldn't be here. I couldn't have come through what I've come through. And and so that's where it starts. You know, I, the story is... is fascinating because it's mine, and I think I'm fascinating. I'm kidding, but uh, it's a good story for sure, and it's my story, and one of the things I've learned is that, while others may retell my story. What I want to get people in touch with, which is why I do the wisdom circles, is what is your story, and how does your story bring wisdom to the world, and wisdom is just applied knowledge. We think wisdom is Or the person, you know, sitting on top of the mountain. We climb up to the top of the mountain. We say, what is the meaning of life? And the guy says, I don't know. I've been sitting on the top of the mountain. What do I know? When in fact, we do know. And though each of our stories are different. And I work in Rwanda, as you mentioned. And I know the stories of the women of Rwanda. We all have stories that matter. And the only loss we ever suffer is when we don't remember the wisdom we have already learned and then apply it to the next thing that comes up. Because, as I like to say... It rains on the just and the unjust. And a storm is coming, but we can face it and get through
1: it. What that, and that's that's what I love so much about your message, Vicki. What, what do you think there is in your personality that allowed you to accept your mother's faults and accept her wisdom without resentment? You know, the typical teenage, like you said, you always had a relationship with your mother even going through the awkward teenage years and comments like you said I mean I I loved in your book book when you talked about how you know she would hand hand you a piece of clothing and say well you know this would never fit me but it would certainly fit you and you know there are are young teenagers
0: she'd say Vic would you like this it's huge on me (laughs) (laughs) I was like mother she'd say what (laughs) <laughs> I'd say, Mother, you know what you just yeah. said to me? Because as a young woman, I was um, a little overweight. Not terribly overweight, but she was 36, 24, 36. So she was very, very uh. well-proportioned and very slim and probably a size 2 and a 2-minute two, 2. And she meant no harm. Yeah. She said, what? I said, Mother, you just said it's huge on you. What do you think that says? She goes, it just it's huge. It's huge on me, but it'll fit you great. I, I would just laugh. She meant nothing by that because she... I remember when I was 10, she called me over to her one day. I remember this like it was yesterday, and I'm 58, so it was almost 50 years ago. And she said, Vic, I want to tell you something. Oh, I've always, you know, always all ears. And she'd say, you know what? Yeah. She'd, and it was, it was such interest. And it wasn't, she, you know, it's not like today where people pretend to be interested. Mother was, like, really sort of fascinated by this. She said, you know what? She said, I think you're going to have a little bit of a weight problem. It's like, well, there's an understatement. <laughs> But at 10, I didn't know. It. And I said, really? She goes, yes, I think you are. And you know what I want you to do? She said, I want you to hold in your stomach. She never, through all my teenage years, and I was probably a real healthy 14. So well-built, hourglass, but a bigger hourglass. She was a yeah. 6 or 4. I'm a 14. And but she yeah. never told me to lose weight. She never said, Vic, you're fat. You know, you need to lose some weight. All the, And I've heard mothers say it, and I've and even as daughters, we say it. She would never acknowledge it. She goes, no, you're not. She goes, you're just big boned. Now, I found out later, of course, I wasn't big boned. <laughs> but she just was like, she thought I was beautiful. And she thought everything about me was beautiful. Yeah. And she knew I was overweight. And she instead of making me feel bad about that and then never looking good until, quote, I got thinner, she just always said, look your best yeah. every day, Vic. Because it could be the most important day of your life and you have to be ready. So she was brutally honest. She didn't use use euphemisms like, I think you might be a little overweight. She goes, I think you're going to have a little bit of a weight problem. And son of a gun if I haven't. But I've always looked good. You've seen me. You know, my weight's really low now because I've, you know, I've uh, not been having a lot of food in the last couple of months because of a a problem I've had. But still, it's not like I was never this weight. It was right. just, you know, I've been a little bigger, but I never felt bad about that because she made me know. And this is the message we do not get: this as women, who you right. are is enough. Don't try exactly. to be something you're not. If you're not a six, if you're a sixteen, own it, sister.
1: Own yeah. it. Yeah.
0: No women that own their size,
1: and we think they're beautiful. Right. Right. But I. But don't you think that you have a, the, a blessing? I mean, you have a blessed personality that you could hear that love. I mean, I think sometimes there are so many people that can't hear the love because they're so set on being offended or living a tragic life or whatever the reasons might be. But you have an ability to hear the positive and to take in the positive and feel what other people are saying, not necessarily you know, what you hear, but you feel what they're saying. Don't you think that's a gift you have? I do. I I call it my God goggles. I say, you know, I
0: can look at somebody. I'm an executive coach. I coach leaders and entrepreneurs and business people. And and it all, you know, I also do life coaching, but it all gets personal. But I like to work with people with businesses because I'm a businesswoman. I have a degree in accounting, and I've been in business for over 40 years. And so I'm a businesswoman, and and I love my executive coaching. But I, I choose clients because I can see the potential. And maybe that came from Mother, too. I mean, she always saw me as someone who was more than the way I looked. So I look at people's circumstances, and I have a zero, and I mean zero, pity rule. I don't pity people. I work in Rwanda, so it's a very challenging thing because they've been through so much. But I have great compassion. And what I know, I used to be a guardian conservator for over 20 years, and I I made healthcare decisions for people who lacked capacity, either the developmentally disabled, mentally ill, head injured, and the elderly. And I was also a conservator. So I see people in their most dark times. And I never burned out. And, you know, a lot of people burn out when they're caring for others because they have such, they, they feel so badly for them. And I know this as a fact. People don't want your pity. They want right. your compassion. And compassion I define as the capacity to put love into action. So I think because, you know, I, I hear tragic tragic stories all the time and I have my own set of tragic stories, but you know from my Facebook post, you never saw me pity myself, even in the worst of times, because I don't pity. I don't have pity for myself or others, and I think that ability not to pity, so I don't have to feel what they feel. I certainly have empathy, but more I have compassion. So what can I do you come to me, if if I'm here in front of you, what do you need? And if I can help you, I will. And if I can't, I'll tell you because I I don't like whiners. And whiners turn into, you know, we have pity. And I understand whining, but whining as a lifestyle does not work for me. So pity and whining, um, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't go anywhere. It's not that that I judge it and say, I hate
1: whiners. I don't hate
0: anybody. I don't see the purpose of whining. I don't see the purpose of putting people down. I don't like snarky comments or judgment of others. You know, we we have this judgment of people, and, and the media certainly set us up. And no wonder women feel so badly about themselves. All you see is Photoshop pictures or women who are impossibly thin and have paid right. a price for it. And it's right. like, what happens when we just see ourselves for who we are? And that's my gift. I tell everybody, most of my clients, more than half my clients are men, and and I do the same thing with men. I tell them what I see. I just, it's just what I see in them, not their, search, their situation, their money, their, you know, I've worked with the poorest people in the world and the wealthiest people. And what they what they share in common that attracts me is a spirit of things are going to be tough, but we can find a way. And when we find a way, we change the world. Not only whether it's a small world, if we're just for ourselves and our families, or we have the opportunity to work in a bigger context. So I've had both. But nothing is more important to me and my family. I work in Rwanda. I've had have had a great honor to speak at the United Nations. That's all good and great. Do you think mm-hmm. any of those United Nations people care about me on a daily basis or, or worry about me? They don't, nor should right. they. Right. So we get a little, you can't get too big for your britches, as, as Dead Rita used to say. It's like you've got something going on, but to whom much is given, much is required. So there's a great sense of responsibility I have to be my best but also to walk my talk. I I preach it. You know me, sister. I preach it. Well, I I happen to believe it enough that I actually have lived it. And you've watched in these last couple months on Facebook as I opened up about a very serious health crisis. That's been going on since last August. And you can look as far back as you want. You won't see a peep. You won't see a, I hate those emails that say, so... Distracted by life, and I just want to go. Then go do life. Don't put those teasers on. When I finally came out about my health, my latest health crisis, um, I came all out about it. And I know some people; it was way too much for them. And I get that because it's not for everybody, and not everybody can face a storm. But you know, for me, it's either face a storm or, or be a hypocrite, and I'm not interested in that. Right.
1: Well, and that's a perfect segue, Vic. We're going to take a break, and then when we come back. I want to talk a little bit about your health issues that you've had, and yeah. how you've stayed positive, and how how I think you've just really, well, in my little world, you've made a change as far as like you say, um, uh, not so much the pity, but the um, there's a there's a feeling out there that I I see that I see is very damaging to our entire to an entire generation of people, which is the uh, need to be offended, the need to wallow in self-pity. And it seems to be a trend that I see that it actually scares me. So I want to talk a little bit about your, your positive attitude when we come back from a break.
0: Welcome back to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com. Here's Renee Steelman.
1: Thanks for joining me again, everyone. Thank you. I'm, I'm talking today with Victoria Trabosh And Victoria, the way that I met Victoria is through her book, Dead Rita's Wisdom. And it was through a wisdom circle that I attended. And I love just the um, common sense motivation that Vicki gives through her book, and um, just explain really quickly to the audience how you came up with the title of Dead Rita's Wisdom.
0: Well, I never planned to write a book. Um, of course, a lot of people don't, And but when my mother died in 1998, she died from complications of breast cancer and, and lung cancer. It was all from smoking. She was a smoker, which was her only vice, but man, she... She had that vice, and it killed her. But my mother was so dear to me. My I was really blessed to have our parents live with us. My parents lived with us for the last five years of my mother's life, and and we'd always been close, but that was a real blessing. And so uh, during her life and when she got sick, people would ask how she was because they knew that she lived with us. And, you know, sometimes she was great, and I'd say, oh, she's doing great, and then uh, she recovered from her breast cancer, and, and she's in remission, and then you know a year later uh, she got lung cancer, and then the cancer spread. So people would ask how she was, and and you know I'd give them updates. And she was in radiation, or she was in chemo, or she was on hospice, and and then people would say, "How's your mom?" And I would say in my rather blunt Ohio style, "Dead," which would shock them, of course, because I know it sounds so terrible. I didn't know how else to say it, Renee. I, yeah. I wasn't about to use the euphemism, like, she's she's no longer with us. Because then they'd have to say, like, where'd she go? Well, I'm not quite sure. I'm open heaven, but we don't know. Uh, <laughs> so I just went for it. I'd say, she's dead. And people would look at me, and I worked with uh, elders and death and dying, so I'm not uncomfortable with death at all. Not ready for it, but not uncomfortable with it. <laughs> and my husband would be standing there, because I could bring any conversation around to my mother. I mean, anything you made you could bring up a topic renee and i could bring it around to rita and so when <laughs> when they said when they'd say how's your mom i'd say dead and they'd look at me in shock and john trying to break the tension would say oh your mother's dead because she was there too he was there too when she passed and i said yeah you didn't hear let me tell you about dead rita like I started calling her dead rita with the greatest affection because i didn't i you know i talked about her and if people say well how is she i didn't want to keep saying she was dead i thought i'd just make sure people knew And I decided to write the book um, because the little things that she had said to me all my life, whether it was you have to look as good coming as you do going or um, consider the source or uh, talk about the story of having purple lips, all those things, those things matter. But in the book, I thought I need to write a book. And I, over the years, had shared my mother's wisdom with people, even while she was alive, and it touched them. And so I thought, you know, the, sh- the chapters are very short. Dad read is wisdom, simple words to help you live an extraordinary life. And like you said, it's common sense stuff. But in each chapter, I try to take it to a bigger message. And when I do that, that's when the wisdom circle comes in, because obviously our story is just a way to uh, frame the message it has nothing to do with the wisdom. It's not like, well, I'm not Rita and I'm not Vicki, so the wisdom probably won't apply. Oh, it applies. and It applies to us all. So that's how the book came about, and it was in response to people saying, you should write about it. And I'm nobody, so to speak, in the world of celebs, so it's not like I had a huge following, but the book has, I've had strangers call me and say, your story is my story. Your mother's wisdom is the wisdom my mother gave me. And can I give you an example of one of the chapters that I've had more women tell me they can relate to than I can believe?
1: Okay.
0: So there's one, there's a chapter called Weak Ankles. So my mother told me, always said to me, I had weak ankles. Now, I told you I believe my mother. I don't know why she said that. I started talking at nine months, didn't really get off the ground and take off till I was around two. So I think my mother thought I had weak ankles. I actually think it's because I was probably at one year old, I could say, excuse me, could you get my bottle for me? And they'd go get it. So why learn to walk? I don't know. But I wasn't. I never broke an ankle. But my mother always said, Vicki, you have weak ankles. Now you be careful. Now, I believe that. And, you know, in the 50s and 60s, there was no Title IX. We weren't taught to, to win. We were taught to get along. And one time in junior high, I was jumping up. To get a leaf off a tree for a science project and there was a little indent and I fell into it and twisted my ankle. And you know what I thought? I got weak ankle. Mm-hmm. And so I never tried anything because I had weak ankle. Got married. John had four children. So we went skiing. Teenagers that we had full custody of. I was 24 years old and I wanted to learn to ski, but I knew I couldn't because I had weak ankle. So I didn't try. Took the kids up skiing one day to Mount Hood where we live in our lovely Oregon. And I sat there doing taxes because I mentioned I'm an accountant, which is, I slap a big L on my forehead. I'm sitting in the day lodge doing taxes, looking at all these people having a great time out in the snow, falling down, getting up. I didn't see a bunch of people getting taken away with, you know, stretchers. Decided to learn to ski. Took some lessons. And the first day we went skiing at Mount Bachelor in Bend, Oregon, half day lessons, the afternoon, I skied down from the top of Mount Mount Bachelor, and I remember as I was skiing, I'd done some turns. And if you know how to ski, uh, I wasn't great at turns, but I could do turns. But I really hadn't learned to stop. So <laughs> I was turning, but not turning really well. And you know, the boys, my husband's boys, and our kids now, after 34 years, my kids and. Um, They were yelling at me, and I said, just go away, just go away. And so the boys, of course, took off, but not John. He kind of hovered, and I just started heading down the hill, straight down the hill, straight down the hill. And I started picking up speed, and I mean some serious speed. And as I picked up speed, I just started saying, (laughs) thank you, Jesus, thank you, that's all I could say. (laughs) What am I going to do? I thought, I'm going to pick up enough speed to go right through the day lodge, into the parking lot, and I'll be halfway down the hill before I know it. So I get to, to a certain point, and I think, well, i got to stop, so I'm just going to kind of fall over. I did that. I exploded in the snow, looked up. There's a little kid looking at me like a 10-year-old stranger because I wasn't hurt at all. He looks at me, and he goes, nice stop. I don't say oh. <laughs> And, you know, I skied. We I sque- skied for days and days, and I thought, I don't have weak ankles. But I had believed that, and it had stopped me. And until I wanted something more than my own belief, I would let it stop me. But I wanted to ski with my family. I wanted to be part of this, not just make the sandwiches and sit in the lodge. So right. I called Mom, and I said, guess what, Mother? She goes, what? I go, I went skiing. She goes, what? I went skiing from the top of a mountain, because she was still in the Midwest by then. And she goes, how could you do that, Vicki? You have weak ankles. And I thought... Isn't that fascinating? She didn't say it to stop me. She was trying to protect me. The wisdom of that chapter is not, you don't have weak ankles, but it's a euphemism, right? Where do you think in your life you have, quote, weak ankles? And we as women or men hear a message and we believe it and we don't even try because we've been told we can't in some ways. And the way women relate, more women my age, I'm in my late 50s, Say to me, my mother told me I had weak ankles. I don't know if something was going on, Renee. That mothers thought weak ankles. There there was a whole like weak ankle syndrome going on. But I've had those white shoes. My mother told me I had weak ankles.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was those white walking shoes that everybody wore in the fifties. My brother had them. I had them. You know, the high top white tie shoes that we all had to wear because. If we didn't wear those, our weak ankles, we wouldn't be able to walk. It was a fashion faux pas. <laughs> right. And so
0: we believe in some where in your life, and this is for the listeners, right? So it's a great story, but um, it takes like two and a half pages, so you, you don't have to sit for days and go, when are we going to get to the end? These are short chapters because it's not about that. It's about this whole idea of weak ankle syndrome. Where in your life do you think you can't do something because you've been told? And not out of any spite. My mother didn't tell me that to hurt me. She was trying to right. protect me. Right. And we must learn. We, we know the stories in our mind. We have to honor them. We should also test them once in a while and say, is that true? Is yeah. that true that I'm not good at math? How many girls have heard that? I can't. I'm no good at math. And they never do math. I mean, I can meet women today and young girls who say, I can't do math. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, that, that's your weak ankle, sister. That's your right. weak ankle can't do
1: math. Right. Well, and what I loved about that story is, you know, going back to your attitude, because I, I just feel as though uh, in, you know, 2015, the, the chapter that would have been the most popular would have been, I called my mother and I said, how dare you? You've ruined my life. My whole life, I never tried anything because once in 1963, you told me I, I had weak ankles, and that damaged me for the rest of my life, and I was never able to achieve my full potential. And that, you know, that's the whole reality TV mantra versus you're going, huh, ah, she was wrong. How about that? But she loved me and was trying to protect me. That's well, the... but it's also in context. So, yes. you know, some of the mothers you're describing, some of the
0: daughters and sons, but we're talking about daughters here, some of the daughters... Every message was like that, Renee. Yeah, And that wasn't my mother, right? Like I said, she told me I could do anything. She was proud of me. But she never gilded the lily. You know, she didn't tell me everything was perfect. Right. We're also, this is where I really honor other people's stories. Do you know how many women have said to me, I didn't have a mother like yours? And I'll tell you what, mother didn't have a mother like she was. But my mother's mother was so bad that my mother said at four years old, so her, her mother was 20, they lived with my great grandmother.
1: Right.
0: My mother said she looked out the door of the, sc- the screen door. So this would have been 1935. And her mother and her girlfriend were walking down the street, arm in arm, linked, you know, like girls do, girlfriends do. Right. Not a care in the world. And there sits my mother as a four year old. And my mother said she told me at four years old, she said, I will not be like my mother. She knew. Mm-hmm. And that was where the wisdom began and so here's a little girl who's obviously affected deeply and my mother, it scarred my mother, trust me, where my mother could tell me I could do anything she didn't believe she could do anything, she was a world class artist and her mother Uh. competed with her, as soon as my grandmother figured out my mother could do art, my grandmother started doing art and my Uh. mother as I mentioned was shy, demure, petite and quiet so my mother was the type of artist that would create incredible pieces of work and didn't think they were any good my grandmother yep. learned to paint by number and then went on to sell her stuff. And it wow. was like you know, I get some of my boldness. Obviously it skipped a generation, but I try to use it for good and not evil. Right. So it's it's I absolutely see where we can be damaged by negative messages all the time. And it and it wasn't a negative message. It wasn't like you have ugly ankles. It
1: was right. weak. And right. so uh, but it was balanced Yeah, it was balanced with enough love that you could take it for what it was because there was enough, like you said, encouragement and unconditional love behind those comments where you could look into her face and say, This woman really loves me, so I'm gonna listen to this. Right. And and that's where it came, where the positivity came from the reality. I mean that's the thing, is that it is you know, like you say, am I a size two? No. So are we going around saying, "Oh no, no, you're so tight"? That would be almost more damaging. So oh, well, the, it's, it's terrible like, because I love food. I mean,
0: me and food, we're buddies. And, <laughs> and my mother didn't eat that much. Food wasn't her thing, man. Everything and you know how some women the day they get married—probably not you—but the day they get married, go have a stiff drink. You know what <laughs> I did on the way to my on the way to the chapel with my maid of honor? Uh, I said, I said, Julie. Let's stop at Arby's. I need a Swiss King, which was a sandwich back in 1981. Here, here I am nervous. I don't want a drink. I, that's not my issue. Yeah. I want yeah. a sandwich. These people <laughs> that don't eat the whole day of their wedding. I didn't. It was a very small wedding, but man, I didn't miss a thing, Renee. So, yeah. <laughs> so food is a big part of my life, and it's it's caused. I, I really think it's one of the reasons I got sick because of the our food and what it does to me and my body. Certainly react strongly to inflammation and those things. So, you know, it's an ironic thing to me. But, yeah, it's got to be balanced. And if you didn't have a mother that was loving and balanced for whatever reason, right? Sometimes it's mental illness. Sometimes it's they've been crushed. And not every little four-year-old girl who's been treated badly by her mother can say, I will not be my mother. And so we repeat our cycles. But I often I have yet to meet someone when I work with them who can't find someone in their life who hasn't shown them kindness. You know, people who get into the our are, 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 uh, incarceration, and I've worked with a lot of prisoners. Man, oh man, they didn't have anybody like my mother. In fact, I become that person for them. I become the dead Rita in their life, the one they can say, here's what I'm going to tell you. You know, I, I'm not saying that your life is a result of karma, you're, you made some choices and there are consequences, but you can change your circumstances and thereby change your future consequences, and you got to pay for what you did, but you don't have to live with this for the rest of your life.
1: Right. And that, that Vicki, that is a perfect transition. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you've gone through the last two years and how... Um, it, it you know may, it may force you to make some changes in your life, but it has also given you just so so much strength in an odd way. So right. talk okay. about the first okay. strike one. So
0: strike one was uh, a couple years ago uh, at the end of April. I had spoken down in California and uh, in March and at a big conference and. In April, the end of April, I was doing a big event for my foundation, Itafari, which helps the people of Rwanda, and I was getting all ready for it, and that week, you know, there's a lot of stuff that leads up to a big event, and I was working at, uh, I do it on the side for free, but I'm I'm sort of the chief bottle washer for the foundation as well as everything else, and, you know, I had to get the donors and the sponsors and the seats filled and the tickets and all that stuff, and I was going to boot camp and working out and, you know. Everything was great. Well, I went to, on Monday of that week, uh, before May 1st, I was at I was at, the can- at the gym who I worked out with this morning, my workout partner, and I got on the elliptical, and my stomach just flipped really bad. And I said, oh, I said, is it hot in here? I just had nausea. And she said, Lynette said, no. I said, okay, and started working out, and everything was fine. Tuesday, John and I were working, my husband and I were working on something for the foundation, Really stressful. Not yelling or anything, just, you know, stress. And John and we worked on it for two or three hours at my office. I said, go home, I'll see you at home. And and I got to work on it. I spent a couple hours writing a diplomatic email to someone in Rwanda for a couple hours. Drive home around 7 o'clock, exhausted. Like, I have not, I don't remember ever getting that tired. And I walk in the house and we were going to go get something some to eat. And I just, I could hardly hold my head up. And I went and laid down in the bed, and John came in and said, "What's going on?" I go, "I don't know, John. I'm just exhausted." And he went and got me something to eat, and I perked up. Wednesday uh, of that week, we went. We had someone coming in from Rwanda to speak, so we picked him up. At, you know, worked all day, raced to the airport, picked him up, took him out for Thai food, got him home, got him in the guest room, and we're getting ready for bed around ten o'clock. And I had terrible indigestion. I thought, "Oh man, I got. I cannot eat Thai food." And and then my arm, my right arm started to hurt. And I laid down, and I remembered in March when I was speaking at a conference, the American Heart Association had shown the movie, the video, Just a Little Heart Attack. And it's a very funny, which I like humor, very funny about Elizabeth, oh, i got to think of her name. I'll look it up. Uh, this actress who plays the part of a very busy mother, and in the end she's having a heart attack. And they call 911 and, and, you know, her response is really funny. And and as I laid there in bed and my arm started to bother me, I started thinking, am I having a heart attack? And I thought, no, because I was working out, I was going to boot camp. And I just laid there a little longer and a little longer. And I took an aspirin, walked around the house, not an aspirin, an Advil, and walked around the house and... Thought I should, oh, Elizabeth Banks, just a little heart attack. You can see it on YouTube. And I'm walking around the house thinking, am I having a heart attack? I thought, no. And, oh, you know, Nathan just got here from Rwanda. I don't want to bother anybody. John was asleep. So I laid back down and went to bed. Woke up around 2 in the morning. My jaw was bothering me. My back hurt. I had a back, You know, you could explain anything. My yeah. back hurt, I got back problems. My jaw hurt, I should go to the dentist. Uh, my arm hurts, that's from working out. But I hadn't been working out the hard enough to make. And then both arms started hurting. So I go back to sleep, wake up around 6, go to a meeting at 7.30, come down to my office after the meeting. I was going to get home and get Nathan and John. We were going to tour Nathan. And I run up the stairs, the two flights of stairs to my office like I always do, and I was a little out of breath. And I kept thinking, am I having a heart attack? Which is not the way to do this, ladies. So I looked it up. I had a book, looked it up. I had every symptom of a heart attack, nausea, extreme tiredness, jaw pain, arm pain, Um, you know, just something didn't feel right. We know it as women. And I ended up going to, I went home, shouldn't have done that, should have called 911, drove home, told John we had to go to the hospital. We went to Meridian Park, which is a small hospital. St. Vincent's in Portland is the heart hospital. We kind of live between them. And I told John, let's, I, I think we should go to Meridian Park. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure it's just stress. We get there. Turns out, um heart rate's normal, blood pressure's normal, respiration's normal, everything's great, until they checked my blood. And there were, I can't think of the word right now, but uh, enzymes were elevated, which meant something had happened. Within 15 minutes, they had taken me into the operating room. They put a stent in my heart. And I am stunned. And they told me, the entire left side of your heart was blocked. And if you'd gone on anymore you would have died it's called the widowmaker. five to ten percent survival rate and through this whole thing i'm chatting like usual john said he'd, he'd watch, he'd listen they'd wheel me off to do a test he would said to be real quiet and then there would be this burst of laughter because you know i'm just i don't think anything's wrong yeah but i come out of the catheterization and i said can i go home now and i go no uh <laughs> you're going up to a cardiac icu and i'm like oh god i don't understand You know, I'm I'm in shape, I'm fit, I'm busy, I have a life I love. So I'm getting ready to go upstairs and I was talking to the nurse and I made a joke and she laughed. And I said to her, what's your name? And she looked at me and she said, Rita. No. I said, said, not Rita. I said, you don't understand. I said, God sends me Rita when he wants me to know it's going to be okay. And and the peace that passed all understanding went through me. So... I got home, I was at home within a day, within less than 24 hours, and then began this journey of understanding heart disease, which I didn't get, and inflammation, and went to cardio rehab, and didn't post anything about the heart attack on Facebook either, until I was in cardio rehab, and it's me and a bunch of old fellas, and I said to the nurses, if heart disease is the number one killer of women since the early 1900s, where are all the women? Because rehab is 36 visits to the gym in Good Sam Hospital, downtown Portland, which is near my office. So they can monitor your heart and make sure you can still exercise. Well, I was exercising like crazy before the heart attack. So, you know, I got, I was fine. I have no heart damage. The entire left side of my heart was blocked. I have no heart damage. So I went through that. And, and after I realized women, I said, where are all the women? And they said, women who survive, which is 5 to 10%, they were too busy for rehab. that's it, and now i got to talk about heart disease, which I wasn't going to do. I don't like being a poster child specifically. So I began to talk about heart disease for women, and I was a speaker at Go Red for Women, which is an organization in the American Heart Association for Women, and was their speaker in their October 2013 event, which was my heart attack was May 1st. And um, we raised more money than they'd ever raised because I just told my story. So I get through all that. Life's good. And then last July... I was looking around in my mouth, which you should do, because, you know, I was looking at my teeth and stuff, and I saw this weird thing on my cheek, inside my cheek. I go, what is that? Went to my doctor. She said, that's weird. Went to an ENT. He said, that's weird. Went to a specialist who did a biopsy, and they came back and said, you have oral cancer. I said, what? I said, come on. They said, have you ever smoked? I said, never. Did you do drink heavily? I said, no. They said, do you chew tobacco? I said, yeah, right. That's what I do. I chew tobacco. I said, no, I <laughs> don't chew tobacco. They said, well, you have oral cancer. And that was last August. And that began my journey with oral cancer, which strikes people, women, and more and more women are getting oral cancer, and they don't know why I have it, except it could have something to do with the um, the treatment that they gave me in 1957 with the dry ice on my face. That's the only thing they can figure, because they don't do that anymore, by the way. Yeah. And... So I had surgery to remove uh, a tumor inside my cheek. Didn't put anything on Facebook. The doctor calls me a week later because there was another suspicious area, and he said, I don't think that's cancer. He calls, he goes, it's cancer. I had two major surgeries in October of 2014, but they were inside my mouth. Cancer was resolved and went back to work. Never really lost, just lost a couple weeks. And, and then in March, early March, I felt something on my lip underneath it and I went in for a biopsy it came back negative but my lip just blew up and I mean blew up and they said uh we want another biopsy but it really sort of traumatized me I said no but changed doctors because we have to keep our voice I didn't feel like he was hearing me because yeah. his, what his recommendation was he said what we'll do and this went started under my nose and went my entire top lip and the tumor was growing so fast, it grew out of my mouth. I don't know if you noticed those pictures, Renee. Uh, It grew out of my mouth. I I couldn't even see my upper teeth. I couldn't open my mouth because the tumor was growing so quickly. So what they wanted to do was cut that entire thing off, the entire upper lip, not just the lip, but the whole upper mouth. And they said, we'll take your lower lip and we'll flip it up and we'll sew it. We'll cut it in half. Sew it together for six (laughs) weeks. Listen to this. It gets better. And And then when we open it up, you will have no corners of your mouth. I'm going to look like a blowfish because, you know, this is just the surgeon. And he said, well, we can always do plastic surgery and add the corners back. I said, I said, what? I'm a speaker. You can't take my voice. Yeah. They they gave me no options. And I said, no, you're not doing that. That, You're not doing that. And, of course, my family goes insane, crazy. But you have to keep your voice. Literally, you have to speak for yourself. And I said to the surgeon, listen, I really like you, but your job, my life, you're not cutting off my mouth. And then he said, and then after the surgeries and da-da-da-da-da, your entire mouth will be 30 to 40% smaller. Oh, my gosh. This was insane. And I get it. I get what we can do for people, but I'm not sure we always should. So I changed surgeons also recommended cutting off my mouth i said no he said well then the other option is radiation i said yeah, i don't like that option either because there's lots of side effects to radiation to your face uh, he said well vicki if you don't it will metastasize so large before it kills you that you do not want to die that way so they you know they use threats and fear yeah but i prayed about it and i said all right i'll do this so what you saw was the third iteration of this oral cancer and this This one was bad, so I basically put it out there for two reasons. One, I wanted prayers, and I wanted... I had lots of people praying for me privately, my family, of course, and some real special friends, but I put it out on Facebook, and I thought, I'm going to put it out the way I am. It's like, listen, don't cry for me, Argentina, but uh, if you'd like to pray for me, I'll take it. And then every so often I'd post a picture of the progress, and radiation doesn't hurt, but what it does is burn, and it burns big time. And I... to to help myself, you know, because I just don't believe you can keep cutting away. I went on a very serious anti-cancer cleanse to remove any inflammation from my body at the end of March and was just drinking protein. And um, so by the time I started radiation towards the end of April, I was already on a liquid diet. Thank goodness, because my mouth became so, you know, it, it, first of all, you saw the burns on Facebook, which were, oh, pretty brutal to look at. I know it's really hard on some people, but I didn't post the picture of the worst burn until two weeks later when the burn was gone. So see, I didn't Uh want to use drama. I didn't want to say, oh, my mouth is burning. And you know, it was. So I waited to post that picture for two weeks because people don't need fear. They need hope. And I didn't feel fearful. This was so insane and so crazy, but I had resources within me. And I actually, you know, I love. I remember when I did the Wisdom Circle, I'm sure I talked about focus. Follow one course until successful. But I've added something. Follow one course with corrections until successful. Fococus We must focus. so I'm a big ac- acronym person. Uh-huh. And I needed an acronym for cancer, so I prayed about it. I said, God, give me an acronym for cancer. And this is what God gave me. I take no credit for this. C stands for compassion for myself and others. A, acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. And... No fear of the future. C. Christ is my rock, my anchor, and my rope. E. Every knee shall be met. And R. Rejoice in his grace. And literally, it almost came to me that fast, Renee. I could hardly write it down fast enough. Wow. And I dropped my pen, and I said, Okay, God, this is what cancer means to me. Bring it. You bring it. And I will face this storm. I will not run from it. And so what you saw on Facebook, what I posted, was how I felt all the time. There was no private sobbing and crying, it's like, it rains on the just and the unjust, I am no one special, but if God uh-huh. wants to use me to remind people, don't lose your voice, your job, my life, you can decide what your future looks like. I finished Radiation Friday, hallelujah, yeah. uh, the burn is still like in my mouth, so it'll be a couple weeks, um, but I have a rockin' body, because I really haven't eaten much <laughs> since the end of March, <laughs> so I am not complaining. I am down to a size six. Now, uh, it wouldn't be Rita's size six because she was a true six. I don't have 36-inch hips. But, yeah. I, you know, and it's not, I know people go, that's not the way to lose weight. No kidding. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. But guess what? If there's an upside to cancer, I'm going to find it. And yeah. Getting yeah. healthier and feeling good and facing a storm. So my message isn't about my oral cancer. It's about how do you face a storm in life? Don't run. Don't. It's going to catch you. You might as well face it and go through it quicker. And that's what I do. I face a storm. So that's right. what you saw on Facebook. You saw me facing the storm, which is what I asked my clients to do, which is what my mother did, which is what Dead Rita's Wisdom is all about. Use the wisdom within you to face the storms that are coming. If the storms are coming, we all face them. But right. you know what? We get through them. Mother always said there's always a silver lining, and she would always say, This too shall pass. It's one of the chapters, right? This too shall pass. That wasn't Rita, that she didn't come up with that originally, but she used it. Yeah. I talked about how she always used it in difficult times. But in dead Rita's wisdom, I remind people, not only does the bad pass, the good passes. Yeah. how often do we miss moments of joy because we're worried about the next thing that's going to happen? It's like, yeah, I had a great time today, but tomorrow's going to be a really difficult day. And I go, well, it all passes. This too shall pass. Yeah. It is those pieces of wisdom that got me through this. So that's it, right? So now, like I said, I'd want to get back to my regularly scheduled life. I'm going to do a book about cancer and facing the storm because I think it's so important. But it is just another journey, Renee. And I know, as you well know, how to face a storm. You well know that we don't choose our circumstances, but we certainly choose our attitude. And attitude determines altitude. And I am flying high, sister. I am flying high.
1: Oh my gosh, that is so fabulous! What a way to go out on a program. That is that is amazing. And and I I love. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much, Victoria. Uh, tell everybody because I know that everyone right now is on Amazon trying to get a hold of this book. So. Amazon is the best way to, to get Dead Rita's Wisdom? Yep, you can get Amazon, uh, Amazon Kindle, uh, Barnes & Noble carries
0: it, and you can also get it from my website. Just go to deadritaswisdom.com, and it's fourteen ninety five and free shipping. And if you'd like, I'll sign it, I'll send it to whomever. And if your name is Rita, you get a free copy.
1: Oh, my gosh. And we don't even have – I wish I had another hour because – the Rita's that have come into your life, you know, your Rita in Rwanda, oh, amazing. Oh, a to Rwanda. Yeah, I mean, about God
0: just... 15% of the proceeds of the book go to my foundation, Etafari, to help the, the women and children of
1: Rwanda. So and, that, you do that's good. A, yeah, and that's a whole other, uh, you know, the words that, that you talked about, The like you say, when you talk about... I love the quote um, that you have on your blog from um, uh, Helen Keller, where she talks about... Um, let me find. Oh, self pity is our worst enemy, and if we yield to it, we can never do anything good in the world. From Helen Keller, and it's so true. We so need to start looking out. And and I love what you said about that. If we if we concentrate on the sadness, we're also letting go of the joy because that's going to pass as well. I it love does, that.
0: And and, yeah. and, I, and Renee, I just I know we got to go. I want to say one thing to you and, and about your show and what you're doing and. There's an African prayer that I often close with when I speak, and it says this. Take care of the children, for they have a long way to go. Take care of the elders, for they have come a long way. Take care of those in between, for they are doing the work. And, Renee, I want to thank you for doing the work. I want to thank you for this show and giving
1: people opportunities to find out that they, too, can find a way. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Now I'm crying. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, I love you. Have a great day, Victoria. Thank you, Renee. Take care. Uh, uh, bye-bye. Oh, my gosh. That that was, this is exactly what Victoria said. This is the sole purpose of Heaven Sent and Bent is to, you know, um, to wake everyone up to the the idea that we have such a short time here on Earth. We don't know how long it will be. I have a good friend whose father-in-law just passed away at the age of 101 But his family was there for him. He lived an incredible life. And we don't know how long our life is going to be. But we all are going to have trials. And we're all going to have joy. And how much more fun will this life be if we concentrate on the joy and let the trials come and we face them with the kind of enthusiasm and persistence that Victoria has demonstrated today. So I encourage you to get her book. It's a fun read like I said it's not rocket science, it's common sense and that's what we I think we need a little bit more of that in this world today. Have a great week in spite of all of your trials. Remember my quote, go to heaven for the climate, hell for the company by Mark Twain and enjoy that company that you might find it might be a little bit of a struggle but there's joy in companionship and I hope you find that in your life today have a great week and I look forward to talking with you next Monday on heaven sent and bent bye-bye